0: Have your Bibles, uh, please turn me to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Uh, This is known as a pilgrimage psalm. You'll see that this psalmist is. Uh, perhaps on his way to Jerusalem, or he's in Jerusalem and he's thinking upon the temple. He's looking upon the temple, and as he does so, he he reflects upon God, and his affections and his desires are warmed and stirred. Now, trust that the psalm will be something of an encouragement to us. Psalm eighty-four. This is God's word. Hear it. To the choir master, according to the gift a song of the sons of Korah, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, said her. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Beccah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Sailor. Behold our shield, O God. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Only so far in the reading of God's word, may you form our lives to its truth. Let's pray quickly. Father, as we reflect upon this psalm, as we've heard it read and as we've even sung this morning, we, we pray that you would draw near to us and that where we fall short, you'd help us and sustain us. Where we have sinned, we pray that you would lead us to repentance. And where we've only tasted something of your goodness, we pray that we would hunger for more. Help us this morning in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can I be honest with you? This psalm that we've read bothers me. And it should bother you as well. Why? Because this psalm, in this psalm we see a man who in his entire being, in his body and his soul, in his heart and his mind, in everything he is, he longs for and yearns for God. And it should bother us because so often this longing and this yearning is absent in our own lives. Uh, Maurice Roberts, in one of his books, uh, reflects upon the great heroes of the faith, men like Augustine and Luther and Knox. and, and, And as he reflects upon them, he makes this interesting comment. He speaks of this. He says, we feel a guilty consciousness in the presence of such men because we are aware that in them and in men and women like them, That their hearts burned continually with holy fire. Ours, however, on the other hand, do so only feebly. Beloved, this is what we ought to feel when we read a psalm like this a guilty consciousness. Because in the psalm we see a man who longs for and yearns after and desires more of God and should bother us that this longing, this yearning, this desire is so absent. Tell me, when you went to bed last night, was there the last thing on your mind, Oh, I want to get more of God. I'm so thankful for all that He's done for me today. Can I have more tomorrow? That you wake up this morning thinking, today is the Lord's day, a day of worship, a day of drawing near to God and, and, and eating in all his blessings and his riches? Was that our desire? No, often I'm speaking to myself here, no. It's so easy for us to, to be so preoccupied with everything else, all the worries, all the delights of this world, that we lose sight of God. And, and to make God less and less and less in our lives so that He's just an appendage, just an afterthought and not the, the main thought. See, when I read a psalm like this, I, I, cannot, I cannot help but be bothered by, by this man's holy desire. I cannot help but, but pray a prayer like this. And I want to ask you to, to pray this prayer with me. And that prayer, he says, Father, give me a holy dissatisfaction. Father, help me to be dissatisfied with my spiritual sleepiness, dissatisfied with my worldly pursuits, dissatisfied with self-focused living. Rather, Father, by your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, help me to be dead to sin. Help me to deny myself. Help me to yearn and hunger and thirst after you. Help me to desire you. That's the prayer we need to be praying at the start of a new year. This prayer was essentially what A.W. Tozer, this was essentially his exhortation for us in his book, The Pursuit of God. And I'm sure many of you have read it and been encouraged by it. And perhaps it's a book to reread this year. He said there this, I I want to deliberately encourage you for this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality of our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desires. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. And then he says he, Christ, waits to be wanted. But too bad that with many of us he waits so, so very long and in vain. Beloved, we need to once again desire after our God. We should have a holy dissatisfaction of sin and this world and self. And we should have a holy desire for more and more of God. We need to wake from our spiritual slumber and yearn for God. We need to turn from this world and its painted delights and desire a God who truly satisfies. We need to become dissatisfied with our spiritual state and long to grow more. To to put on more of Christ, to know more of his grace. We should do these things. And beloved, we can. We can. How? By by turning to this psalm with faith in the God who inspired the psalm. By turning to the psalm to, to teach us and to reprove us and to correct us. By turning to the psalm to train us in righteousness so that we would be complete. Particularly Men and women who are completely dedicated and devoted to the Lord. Uh, Henry Law, he made this comment once. If you stop and ask yourself, why are you not so devoted as the early Christians, your own heart will tell you that it's neither through ignorance or inability, but purely because you have never thoroughly intended it. Beloved, do you have the intention to grow more in the Lord? Is that something you desire to live completely for God? See, this psalm is motivating us to that end. And not only is the psalm uh, setting before us this example of this man who longs for God, but the psalm gives us many great reasons to long after God. And what are those reasons? Well, quite simply, there are abundant blessings for the man or woman who desires God. Now, to understand this, uh, we need to grasp something of the structure of the psalm. And so I do hope you have your Bible in front of you so you can see some of this. Th- this psalm is, is divided into three stanzas of four verses each. And, and you'll see it's divided into three because of those two sellers in verse 4 and verse 8. And, and so there are three stanzas. The first stanza, verse 1 to 4. The second, verse 5 to 8. And the third, from verse 9 to 12. And each stanza highlights a blessing. You see that in verse 4 and 5 and 12. And why this emphasis on blessing? Because there are, there are blessings available to you. There are blessings that God offers those who seek him. But also see that each stanza highlights God as the Lord of hosts. You see that in verse 1, 8 and 12. And the point is this. These blessings are found in whom? Or the God who is the ruler over heaven and earth. The God who is mighty in power. This is the God who who gives blessing. Now what is interesting that in every stanza, the first and last line of each stanza goes together. They they complement one another. The first and the last line of every stanza have the same theme. So in verse 1 and 4 of the first stanza, you see the focus there is upon God's dwelling place. And the point is, if you rest in God's dwelling place, there's blessing. You see in verse 5 and 8 in the second stanza that the focus there is on seeking God. And what's the point? Well, if you seek God, there is blessing. Even in the third stanza, verse 9 and 12, the focus there is upon trusting God. And, And what's the point? If you trust God, there is blessing. And what is interesting to see, if you look at this uh, psalm, in every stanza, the the second and third verse, not the first and the last, but the second and third, gives us more reasons for these blessings, more more of these blessings. And so what I want to do this morning is is draw our attention to these blessings that God offers us, blessings that belong to those who rest in, who seek after, and who trust God. Blessings that belong to those who desire more of God. Now, if, if that explanation of the text doesn't make any sense, don't worry. It will make sense as we work through it. But, but the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Blessed are those who rest in the Lord. Blessed are those who rest in the Lord. Look at verse 1. In verse 1 we read, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And then verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. See, in both of these verses, the focus is upon God's dwelling place. And that word, to dwell, means to stay. It means to sit down. It means to settle in a place. And in this context, the idea is this. For those who rest in God's presence, for those who repose themselves in His house, they will find blessing. And so this this stanza is pointing out to us that those who rest in the Lord are truly blessed those who see the lord's presence as lovely who rest and repose in his house who who desire and long for his courts they are blessed they are happy they are filled with joy now why is that look at the reasons given us in verse 2 and 3. firstly by resting in the lord you'll be blessed because you will find satisfaction by resting in the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will find satisfaction. Verse two says, "My soul longs. Yes, faint, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God." that word long" speaks of a, a, a state of desire, a state of yearning. That word faint expands the same idea and speaks of an internal need to, to be complete. And the psalmist here knows that within each of us there is this desire to be whole, this desire to be complete. And the psalmist knows that the only way to satisfy this desire is to rest in the living God. To seek His presence where there is fullness of joy. That's why he says, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Why? Because this God satisfies This God makes whole. And notice that he describes God as the the living God, which speaks of God being self-existent and self-sustaining. It speaks of God having life in himself independent of any other. Think of it this way, We, we are creatures, we are finite, we are dependent and fragile. We need air to breathe, earth to hold us, food to nourish us, fire to warm us, clothes to cover us, homes to shelter us. We are in need and dependent on so much in life. But God on the other hand is independent in need of nothing. He is the living God. He is life itself. He has life in Himself, and He is the fountain of all of all life. And because He is the fountain of life, He is the only One who can fill us with lasting life. Do you see the blessing available in this God? Life, life to the fullest, life that satisfies. But not only does the living God satisfy those who rest in Him, secondly, by resting in the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will find safety. By resting in the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will find safety. Verse 3 says, Even though even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now this is actually a beautiful picture. The the psalmist seems to be standing at the temple and he's looking at the temple and he sees that the birds are making nests. And as he sees this, he rejoices. Why? Because the sparrow, which is often considered a symbol of of worthlessness, finds refuge in God's house. And and the swallow, which is often a symbol of restlessness, can find rest in God's house and even build a nest for her young. And the psalmist rejoices because if the worthless and restless birds of the air can find safety in God's house, and how much more so will people made in God's image not find safety there? This does not remind you of Matthew 6, right? Where Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air, see how your Father provides for them. Are you not more valuable than they? Is he the same argument here? It's the argument from the lesser to the greater. If God can give safety and security and refuge to birds, can he not care for you? Can he not preserve you and hold you in his palm? palm? Can he not give you safety and refuge? What a comfort to know. What a a blessing to to find safety in, in this God. And so stanza one tells us that those who rest in the Lord, they will be blessed because they find satisfaction in their God and they'll find safety in their God. Beloved, do you see what the the word of God is promising to the longing soul? If the longing soul will turn to God and seek his presence for rest, then it will find satisfaction. It will find security in the living God. But before we move on, I want you to see that herein also lies our problem. Our problem is not our need for satisfaction, not our need for security, not our need for rest. No, our problem is we have tried to meet these needs without God. We have forgotten the the loveliness of God's presence. We have neglected the sufficiency of God for our very needs. And isn't that what sin is actually all about? Choosing something over God. Choosing something that is more satisfying than God. Something that is more desirable than God. If you think about it in the garden, sin was essentially choosing a piece of fruit over God. There's more to it, but essentially it was choosing a piece of fruit over the living God. Which on the face of it is ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. Sin is, is painfully ridiculous, beloved. Realize this. Think about it. when we sin, what are we doing but choosing something as, as more satisfying than God, as, as better security than God? See, sin is foolish. We need to recognize that, that if we want to be whole, if we want to have life, if we want security and safety, sin will not give it. Not only the living God. And so, beloved, we need to be reminded that God is our portion, as we read earlier in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. He even even concludes this in verse 28. He says, but for me it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. But if it isn't good for you to be near God, Have you made God your refuge? Have you done that continually to turn to Him as the only one who can satisfy you, the only one who can secure your soul? Beloved, rest in the Lord and you will know abundant blessings. So so that's the first thing I want you to see from this passage. Blessed are those who rest in the Lord. Second thing, blessed are those who seek the Lord. Blessed are those who seek the Lord. Verse 5 reads, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And then verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. See, the second stanza draws our attention to the blessings of of those who, who seek the Lord. A a heart whose highways are set to Zion speaks of a person whose thoughts continually turn to God. But but how does their thoughts continually turn to God? Well, it's through prayer. That's what verse 8 points out. This is a person who, who is prayerful. See, this stanza is describing someone who is away from the temple, but even though they are away, their heart and their mind is still set on the Lord. And this person, this fraying person, the psalmist says, is blessed. Again, why is he blessed? Well, let's look again at the middle verses, verse 6 and 7. First thing I want you to see is, By seeking the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will find refreshment. By seeking the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will find refreshment. Verse 6 says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of spring, springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Uh, Some people think this valley of Baca is a place of weeping. The context makes clear this is a place of dry, lifeless land, which tells us that even though a believer goes to dry and lifeless places, they will be refreshed. Why? Because their heart is set on God. Beloved, in this world, you go, will go through trials. You will go through dry and lifeless places. Yet you will only find refreshment if your heart is set on God. I, I love how one commentator He said, For those who seek the Lord, their affliction is transformed into joy. Hardships turn to rejoicing. And weakness gives way to strength. Now, isn't that what Jeremiah 17:7 7 says? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that stands out its roots by the streams and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Do you see the blessing available to those who, who set their heart on God. Although they go through difficulties and trials, God refreshes, God gives life, God sustains. See, a blessing is available in God because those who seek Him find refreshment in their weariness. But not only does the Lord refresh those who seek him, secondly, by seeking the Lord you'll be blessed because you will find strength. By seeking the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will find strength. Verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The idea is this. Those whose hearts seek after God, no matter what difficult roads they may have to travel on, they find strength because they meet with God in prayer. As another commentator said this, he said, As God is in their hearts, their strength is increased. Where others would get tired, they are carried along as if they had invisible wings. So that the way of faith becomes a walking on high mountains leading from one peak to another. See, that's the blessing that, that God gives those who, who seek Him. If they find strength to, to carry on and persevere. Basically, this text is saying what Isaiah 20, 29-31 says. He, the Lord, gives power To the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How will you survive the next year? By turning and seeking the Lord, making Him your strength. You see, the point of the second stanza is this, those who seek the Lord, those whose heart yearns for Him, those who are men and women of prayer, they will be blessed with refreshment in a weary land, and they will be blessed with strength in their weary souls. And the reason we often feel like we have no strength We have no refreshment. We are dry spiritually. It is because, beloved, we've not sought the Lord. See, a weary and tired traveler will not refuse such a blessing. To find strength. To find refreshment. Did you also notice that at the end of verse 8, the Lord of hosts now is described as the, the God of Jacob. Now think about, the, uh, about Jacob's life for a second. When, when Jacob fled, fled from Esau, he had nothing. He had no possessions. He had to flee for his life, and he had to go into a foreign land all alone. Yet despite the fact that he was all alone and fearful, God was with him. God strengthened him through his journey. God prospered him. Or perhaps you feel like Jacob this morning. Perhaps you feel weak and tired and drained and weary and fearful and lonely. Perhaps you'll feel like this this year. Well, beloved, if that is so, look to the God of Jacob. Look to the God who refreshes the weary. Look to the God who gives strength to the faint. Why? Because those who seek Him will find Him. And so blessed are those who who seek the Lord. They find strength and refreshment in Him. Thirdly, I want you to see blessed are those who who trust the Lord. Blessed are those who trust the Lord. In the third stanza, in verse 9, we read, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. And then verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now you might be asking, how do those two relate to one another? Well, both verses stress the need to trust God's saving and protecting power, particularly God's saving and protecting power in his anointed. God's anointed here is described as our shield. And what does a shield signify? Well, defense against danger, protection from the enemy, refuge from attacks. And the idea is this. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord and his anointed to protect him. to to guard him, to, to defend him. You see, when you're under the attacks of the evil one, when you're bombarded with arrows meant to destroy you, when your life is in danger and your foes threaten you, there is only one place to turn for protection. You must turn and trust in the Lord and his anointed. And if you do so, this passage says, you'll be blessed. Now, why? Why again? Well, consider again the middle verses, verse 10 and 11. Firstly, by trusting the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will have access to God. By trusting the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will have access to God. Look at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, the main point of verse 10 isn't to say that that the psalmist delights in God's being. He does. He said that in verse 1 and 4 already. No, the main point of verse 10 is that the psalmist prefers being in God's house than anywhere else. He prefers the righteous house of God over the tents of wickedness. See, verse 10 is about the psalmist rejoicing and being glad that he can have a share in God's house. That he can have access to the living God, even if it's just being a doorkeeper. Oh, what a blessing, beloved. By trusting God, this psalmist says you have access to God. You have a share with the living God. And guess what? This isn't a, 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 a remote access kind of thing. This isn't a distant kind of see God, but not really close to God. You might be invited to a concert and be given VIP tickets, and you go right in the front and you can see up their nostrils and whatnot. But you're still kind of separate. That's not what this text is speaking about. No, no. By drawing near to God with simple trust, by simple faith, God draws near to us. He surrounds us. Don't believe me? Well, well, consider some of these passages. Psalm 32, 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. She's the one who trusts in the Lord, has access to God. He is surrounded by God and he has joy in his God. Or consider Psalm 125, 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abide forever as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth forevermore. You see, the one who trusts the Lord has access to the Lord, and there he finds safety, he finds security from any threat. And what these verses tell us and what the psalm teaches us is that God delights in it when His people trust Him. He is the God who draws near to those who humbly draw near to Him. Beloved, what a comfort it is to know that although you face trouble, although you face difficulty, you can turn to God to surround you, to comfort you, to protect you, that you have access to this God Others might pray, other religions might say their prayers, but it's all falling on deaf ears. We serve the living God who who draws near to us because we draw near to him in faith. But not only does God draw near to those who trust him and and give them access, but but God draws near to those who trust him and he he blesses them. Secondly, the thing I want you to say is, by trusting the Lord, you will be blessed because you will receive support. By trusting the Lord, you'll be blessed because you will receive support. See, not only do we have access to this God, but this God gives himself to us. Listen to verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. That is to say, God is a guiding light and a God to his people. The Lord bestows favor and honor. That is, he, he gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly with him. See, God provides His people every good that they need. God guides His people. He guards them. He gives them grace. He gives them glory. He gives them that which they need. He gives them that is good for them. And what's the point? God is good and gives mighty support to the one who trusts in Him and is anointed. What a blessing this ought to be, beloved. God is good even if it seems that that's not true. God is good even when things go bad. He gives his people all the good support they need. Now see the point of this third stanza is if the wicked world if in this wicked world you trust in the Lord and if you still trust the Lord when things turn bad then guess what you will still be blessed because God is still good. That's the point of the stanza. See, so the sad reality is when dark providences envelop us, when the ways of affliction overwhelm us, when the snares of difficulty entangle us, we can so easily forget the fact that, that God is good. We can so easily forget the fact that He is good and His goodness is over all that is made. We can forget that He is good and He's working at all things, all things, for the good of those who love Him and who are called. Beloved, we serve a God who is good, and those who trust Him lack no good thing. See, in these three stanzas, we find an example of a man who is meditating upon the abundant blessings that is available in the Lord of hosts. Blessings available to those who, who seek the Lord, who, who rest in the Lord, who, who trust in the Lord. Blessings to those who have set the Lord as their greatest delight. Those who long for and yearn for this God. That's what we see in this psalm, is it not? Now, beloved, this is what gets me about this psalm. This man is coming up with all of this. He's, He's thinking and he's reflecting about all these blessings by looking at the temple. We are told that he's a, a son of Korah. You know, the sons of Korah were servants in the temple. And we find that in this psalm, the son of Korah is looking, he's meditating upon this temple, and as he does so, his heart is, is stirred, his affections renewed. He yearns for God. The sight and the thought and the smells of the temple drive him to desire more of God. And looking at this, at a temple... Now, dear friend and beloved Christian, do you have a temple that you need to go to and meditate upon? Do you have a temple where you can look to and see the blessings of God? Do you have a temple that causes you to, to, to grow in your affections for God? Well, the answer is, is no and yes. No, you do not have a physical temple. No, you have something far better than a physical temple. You have the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the anointed of Psalm 84. Realize we have no, temp- we have no temple and we have no need for te- a temple because Christ himself is our temple. John 12, 9 or John 2, 19 Jesus says this in his earthly ministry. He he points to the temple and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And what did he mean? Well, he, he meant that in his death and resurrection, he will nullify any need for any physical temple afterwards. Think about it. What happened in Jesus' death upon the cross? Did he not offer himself as a sinless, spotless lamb of God to take away our sin? Did He not pay a once-for-all sacrifice? Therefore, do we need the temple to to go to to pay for our sins? No, we have Christ. What happened at Christ's resurrection? Did did He not ascend to the right hand of God? Is He not seated there as our high priest interceding daily for us? Do we therefore need to go to a temple to meet God? No, the, the curtain is torn. A way has been opened. And the point is, Jesus is the better temple. The temple upon which we must look and reflect upon so that our affections would be stirred. Matthew 12, verse 6, he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And he's referring to himself. See, in a very real sense, Psalm 84 points us to Christ because Christ is the lasting, true, and better temple. And it is therefore for those who look to Christ that receive every spiritual blessing. Seek Christ and you will find refreshment and strength. Seek Christ and you will find satisfaction and safety. Trust in Him and you will have access to God and support in your need. Oh beloved, look to Christ. Look upon the face of God's anointed. Look upon His person and see His honor. He is the eternal Son of God, clothing, glory, the exact radiance of God's nature. Look upon His person and see His power, that He creates all things, He sustains all things, He holds all things together. Look and see His wisdom, that in Him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look upon His work. And see that he is our high priest who who pays for your sin, who purchases your forgiveness. Look upon his work and see that he's our prophet. He, He leads us into truth and godliness. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Look to his work and see that he is our king who gives us peace with God, peace from the guilt and shame of our sin, peace from our enemies. Look upon him and his affection and see his love, how he, while we are sinners, died for us. How he paid the penalty for us. Look upon his affection and see his mercy, that he comes to weary, lost, broken sinners like us and says, come to me and find rest. Look upon his affection and his compassion that he calls the hungry and he calls the thirsty. And he says, come to me because I'm the bread of life and I'm the living waters. Beloved, look upon Jesus with the eyes of faith. And if you do so, if you fix your heart upon him, you will find this happening. You'll want more and more. You'll want to say with Paul, I count everything as loss because it's a passing worth of knowing Christ. In fact, I forsake all things. I suffered all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Beloved, can you say that? Is that your yearning desire? Do you seek rest in Him? Do you trust Him? Do you find your security in Him? St. Bernard of Claveau understood this about Christ. And in his hymn called Jesus, the, the Jew of Loving Hearts, he said this. We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee the fountainhead and thirst our souls from thee to fill. Our restless spirits yearn for thee Wherever our change's lot is cast, glad when thy gracious smile we see, blessed when our faith can hold fast to thee. Unfortunately, I think our problem is we've all too often and all too easily been satisfied with things that cannot satisfy. And that's why our prayer ought to be, God, give me a holy dissatisfaction. Help me to be dissatisfied with this world, with self, with sin, and help me to desire satisfaction and safety in Christ. Help me to desire to to find refreshment and strength in Christ. Help me to desire Christ and His support and His presence. We ought to pray A.W. Tozer's prayer where he said, I want Thee. I long to be filled with Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be thirsty still. Show me thy glory. I pray thee that I may know thee indeed. Beloved, if you want to pray for this year, there is there it is. May we be a people who long for God more and more. Now, if you allow me, and I'm running quite long. I want to quickly end with Quick points of application to help us in this. How do we go about growing with greater longing? How do we go about yearning for more of Christ? Well, here are quick um, points on this. Firstly, cultivate a greater desire for God by having faith in His anointed. Uh, We know that without faith it's impossible to please God. And in the psalm, what is it to seek God and trust God and rest God? Uh, That's simply a call to faith. And so if you want to grow in your relationship with God, you need faith first and foremost. You need to ask Him to to grow your faith again. Secondly, cultivate a greater desire for God by diligent and devoted prayer. In verse 5 and 8, we see that those who pray are blessed. And so therefore, if you want more of God, beloved, start with prayer. Ask Him, God, give me this desire. Jesus said, ask me and will be given. Seek and you will find knock and will be opened. And so, seek Him in prayer. Thirdly, cultivate a greater desire for God by wholehearted obedience. See, the psalmist doesn't just long with God with his heart, but his heart and his flesh. All of who he is seeks after God. And if we want to grow in our desire for God, all of us need to be committed to this. So, seek Him with wholehearted obedience. Fourthly, cultivate a greater desire for God by renouncing all competitors. To grow in our desire for God, we must learn what Tozer calls the school of renunciation. Where we toss out anything that competes with Christ, all wickedness, all sin, and we focus on Him. Less of this world, less TV, less media, and more of Christ. Fifthly, cultivate a greater desire for God by serving in the church. I could have preached this on the church, but I to decided to focus on this uh, Psalmist's affections. But as you see here, his desire is for the church or for the, the house of God. And what is that house? Well, it's the church. And so to grow in your desire for God, serve in the church, serve where God is present, where God is working, and you will desire, grow in that desire. Sixthly, cultivate a great desire for God by growing in Christian meditation. In verse 6, it says, how do they go through, they, it says they make the valleys of Baca a place of springs. How do they do that? How do you make a dry and weary place into springs of joy? Will you do so by prayerful meditation, recognizing that God is in control, recognizing that He's working all things, and so prayerfully meditate. And then finally, cultivate the greater desire for God by numbering each day. Verse 10 speaks of one day as being better in God's house than a thousand elsewhere. Beloved, remember that each day is a gift. For some of us, this will be our last year. And so we need to recognize, to number our days, to take every day and make it great for the Lord. How do we do that? How is one day better than a thousand? It's by being in God's presence. And so we need to seek God daily numbering our days, seeking Him as the greatest joy that we have. And so, beloved, as we head into this year, may this be our desire, to grow in our desire for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank You that You have given us Your Word, that You've given us the example of the son of Korah who longs and faints for You, And, dear Lord, as we're exposed to this example, as we even see the example of Paul and how he counts all things as rubbish in comparison to Christ, we pray, dear Lord, that we would feel that guiltiness, that that guilty consciousness, that, that we would be bothered that we aren't striving for more of you. We pray that you would work within us, even this morning, with a greater desire for you a greater longing for you. Help me in this, dear Lord. I am preaching to myself. I recognize my own need in this. I pray that we would be a people, a church, whose first love is intact because we have set our love upon Christ and Him alone. And so help us in this, we pray, Heavenly Father, through your Holy Spirit, for the Guru of Christ, we pray. Amen.